Well, good morning, church family. Welcome to part three of this series we've been doing on Christmas Messengers. Uh, just to reiterate a couple things that Rusty touched on uh, next weekend uh, for Saturday and for Sunday, Saturday, 6 p.m., Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m. Those services will be identical. Um, you're welcome to join us for both, but you don't have to. And uh, hopefully you will carve out that hour to spend with us as we focus on the real reason of the season. And uh, we try to make those uh, services just really focus on Jesus and, uh, and what Christmas is all about. So it's a great time of reflection. We will have uh, candlelight and communion at both services. So I uh, just want to make you aware of that. Make sure that you uh, work that into your plans uh, for uh, this coming weekend as it's going to be a great time. Now, uh, Wednesday night, like Rusty said, too. Okay, depending on when that front comes through and everything, it could be really, really cold, okay? And the rule is, if I don't want to be there, then people with kids don't want to be there and senior adults don't want to be there, okay? So if that's the case, we will we'll cancel. But again, we'll try to put that out through the uh, Oakwood app, through the push notification. So if you would download that um, and enable the notifications, that'd be great. It's just the fastest way uh, to get to uh, most of the people that way. So uh, we don't want you to be the only one down there singing carols by yourself around the tree downtown. So uh, we've been in this series called Christmas Messengers talking about angels, and, uh, and it's been great. If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. If you want to follow along in the Oakwood app, you can. Just uh, download the app, go to Sermon Notes, and all the notes and everything will be there for you. I'm just curious. I just want to kind of, wanted to kind of begin this morning with a, just taking a straw poll here. Um, and just be 100% honest. Raise your hand. Own, own your position, okay? Just, just own, your, own your stuff here this morning. It just seems like when it comes to Christmas time and it comes to Christmas decorating and it comes to Christmas lights, there's really two categories of people, Okay? And some of you are looking, looking at your spouse laughing right now because you know where this is going, right? Okay? It just seems like there's some people that are white light people where they just want white lights. And there's some people that are multi, multi-color light people. So let's just, let's just put out this one. How many of you are white light Christmas light people? Okay? All right. Several. Several of the white light. Several boring, boring people here. I mean, sorry. <laughs> several uh, white light purity of Christ um, yeah, those people. All right, how many of you are multicolor, multicolor people? Okay, it's about like it was first service, about two to one, multicolor to white light. So what that means by peer pressure is, um, no, just kidding. Um, yeah, someone brought up about, you know, marriage counseling after that, and that was a series about a month ago. So just, just watch those messages and uh, receive, receive God's counsel there. No, just, uh, it, it, is, it, is, it is kind of uh, cool that we like different things, right? We have different traditions at Christmas. And, and one of those is our view on the angels. Uh, what's, what's interesting about angels is a lot of times when they appear in Scripture, it says that they were in robes of white and that they, you know, they were glowing or they were striking or they looked like lightning, um, which is not multicolored um, unless it burns your retina. Then it, then it can become multicolored, but it doesn't originally, uh, you know, originate that way. But the, the thing is, is that these angelic uh, creatures, we, we've been talking about that, you know, they're created by God, they're created for a specific uh, purpose, that the word angel, just the word angel itself means messenger. Um, and so all of those things um, tying into Christmas, these are important characters in the Holy Scriptures. They make, they make about 300 appearances uh, throughout all of the Bible, and they're always showing up and, and giving some word from the Lord or being used by the Lord for some certain circumstance or situation. And so uh, they're important. And what's interesting is in our Christmas story, they actually appear four times, and this is week three, so this is the third time 
that they appear. Now, before we read the text this morning, I want to lay this out uh, just so you can kind of be thinking about this. The two times that the angel has come before, and both times we know that angel's name was Gabriel. It gives us that in the text. Uh, both of those accounts were uh, from Luke's gospel, and you'll notice we're in Matthew today. But both of those times, they were preemptive messages. They were, they were both times where the angels came and told them what was going to happen. If you go back to Zechariah, you know, it's like, hey, Zechariah, and, and you remember uh, that from week one, you know, all this information about who the John, John the Baptist, his son, was going to be, and even down to his, his name, what it's supposed to be, his job, the gender reveal, the position, the reflection of his life, like all that was given to him, all this information. And, and, and then you get to, to Mary, and again, it's, it's before she becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She's told by the angel, God has a plan, and you are highly favored, and God's going to use you in his plan ultimately to save the world, and, and you're going to give birth to a son. It's going to be called the Son of the Most High God. You're going to give birth to the Son of God. This is how it's going to happen. But today, as we get to this text, and we're looking at the account of the angelic message to Joseph, this is, this is kind of not preemptive in any way. This is actually after the fact. I mean, Mary's pregnant. And it's by this time, according to the account, it's obvious. Mary has told Joseph, hey, I know I'm pregnant, but it's by the Holy Spirit. And he's having a hard time wrestling with that. And we feel this tension with him because he loves Mary. He deeply loves Mary. But at the same time, it's like you can't deny what's going on here. You can't deny what... what what the law says about that. You can't, you can't deny what the culture says and feels about that. I mean, people get stoned for these kind of things. And so it's understanding all that and all that was probably going through Joseph's mind and in his heart that he also gets a visit from an angel. Let's read the text, Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. It says this, And this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Now, just, just a little background to Matthew here. Matthew is writing primarily his gospel to a Jewish audience. So that's for the Israelites. So you'll find many times if you read Matthew's gospel compared to Mark and Luke and John, that Matthew likes to refer back to prophecies and he likes to build even in the genealogy here in the first part of Matthew's gospel. He is building upon Jewish history and understanding and prophecies and all that stuff. And so he's validating these things. And so he uses terminology um, that, that, that some of the other gospels don't. And right here at the beginning, it says, this is how the birth of Jesus, who's Jesus? And he says, hey, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. Jewish friends, the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for, the one that all, this, all these, these prophecies have been written about, the Messiah is coming. So this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, again, we kind of talked about this last week. Uh, what did it mean to be betrothed and engaged and the, the commitment level there? And then you know the situation, the circumstance here. And here it's using a word like divorce, but you were 100% in and committed. Even though you weren't living together, even though uh, that, that you weren't consummating the marriage in any way, when you became, began that betrothal period, that commitment period, you were in. And so to break that off was called divorce. It, 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 was, it was considered the same thing. And so he had in his mind, hey, I will divorce her, but I'm going to do it quietly. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord, we don't, we don't know who it is. Uh, some speculate, oh, it was Gabriel again. God sent Gabriel through the other 
two accounts, and it's got to be Gabriel again. We don't know. But an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then like right here in the middle of the text, he kind of gives us this comma. Hey, look at this, Jewish readers, verse 22. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And he describes it there, he says, which means that God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until, they, until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And that's really Joseph's account in the Christmas story. I mean, you look at that, you're like, man, it's eight verses. It's pretty succinct. Two of the verses is in 22 and 23 is kind of this aside about prophecy that was fulfilled. But I want us to think about this. And, and as, we look, as we look at this passage today, there's so much that we can draw out of this. But again, I want us to, to look at what can we learn from this angelic exchange with Joseph, this, this angel that appears to him in a dream. Several things I want to share this morning. The first one is this. The virgin birth was a sign of the Messiah, which made it very important. You have to understand that the Jews were looking for the Messiah and had been looking for this Messiah, their deliverer, their king, to come for hundreds of years. You know, that, that, that's kind of like some of these baseball and football teams, right? That they're going to win a championship, and they've been waiting for hundreds of years and there's this anticipation that it's going to happen someday. You know, this is going to be, you know, our year. And yet there's this waiting. They, how much more, looking for the Messiah. And here right at the very beginning of the passage and the very beginning of the text, Matthew gives us, hey, this is the story how about Jesus who's coming into the world. He is the Messiah. The virgin birth was a sign of the Messiah, which made it very, very important. If you look down there to uh, verse 23, it's actually in quotation marks, you might notice. And it's actually quoting a scripture from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, directly. Now, if you want to understand a little bit about Isaiah uh, 7, 14, uh, that was written more than 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And so it's pretty amazing when you think about it that, that this prophecy talks about exactly what's going on in our story here. And, and this is what it says, Isaiah chapter 7, 14 says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign of, of this Messiah coming. The virgin will conceive, which was unconceivable to most people, but no, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And that's exactly what, what Matthew is saying there in verse 23. I mean, he quotes it pretty much directly. The only part he adds is, hey, Emmanuel means that God is with us. And this was a big deal. It validated the supernatural birth of the supernatural child, the Son of God, coming into the world. If he had come into the world just like every other baby, there was really nothing special or set apart about him, even from the moment he took his first breath. But ah, God had a plan. And God, through his prophets, had prophesied for hundreds of years. And people were looking forward to this moment that this virgin would conceive. There's going to be a major sign that that is telling you this is the Messiah. This is the one that we've been waiting on. 
The sign of the Messiah was the virgin birth. It is so important that we understand that and that we value that, the supernatural birth of Jesus Christ. It's been said by many that if you throw out the virgin birth, what else do you have to stand on in the, in the word of Scripture? I mean, the word of Scripture, you either believe it all or you don't believe it at all. And this is one of those points in which we have to say, yes, look what God did. This supernatural birth to point to his supernatural son coming into the world. And it was, it was possible and validated through the prophets and by the story and by two gospel accounts in Luke's gospel and in Matthew. Because remember, it was the, the virgin birth, the fact that Mary was a virgin was mentioned all over Luke's gospel as well. It's right here in Matthew. So don't miss that. Don't glance over that. I hope that when you, when you read this at, at Christmas time or maybe throughout the year, you remember that the virgin birth is a big deal. The second thing this morning is that we need to strike a balance of righteousness and love. We need to strike a balance of righteousness and love. Let, let me drill down on that and explain what I mean. Look at verse 19 first. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Some translations there say it this way. They say, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I think this is significant. You see, he was faithful to the law. He was seen as a righteous man. And what that means is he was in right standing before God. Joseph cared about God's law and cared about what God wanted. And so he didn't want to get on the wrong side of God through any of this. This speaks a lot to Joseph's relationship with God and to his character. Because all that scripture gives us points to that, yes, he indeed was a righteous man. He wanted to do the right thing. And he wanted to do the right thing the right way according to the law of God. He wanted to hold fast to God's standard. He wanted to establish a righteousness in his family. He wanted his family to be holy and set apart and, and, and consecrated to God. He, he probably had the, the spirit of Joshua and say, hey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then Mary is pregnant. I always wonder, how did that conversation go down? Joseph, an angel appeared to me. There, maybe, maybe she brought up the angel thing and, and told me I'm, I'm, I'm going to be pregnant. By the Holy Spirit. And maybe, maybe he kind of put that to the side, but then she shows up and she's showing. <laughs> it's obviously, yeah, she is pregnant and she's running around telling everybody, oh, but I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And of course, everyone just buys in and believes that, right? I mean, you know how the culture is. You know how people can be. And Joseph was a righteous man. He knew what the law required. The law actually went as far to say Mary could be stoned because of her sin of getting pregnant outside of the consummation and the commitment of the marriage. You, you've read that somewhere, seen that somewhere before in Scripture, right? Let me remind you of John chapter 8, a woman who was caught outside of her marriage having relations and is brought before people in the streets and people are about to stone her. Do you remember the story? Jesus, the son of God, shows up. And he says to the crowd, hey, yet let you who are without sin cast the first stone. And if you know the rest of the story, Jesus saves that woman 
But he doesn't leave her there. He says, hey, go and leave your life of sin. (laughs) Because sin only hurts us. It might feel good for a season or for a moment, but in the end, going against God's ways always hurts us. And that's the heart of Joseph here. I don't want to go against God's ways. I know what the law says. And so, but there's this balance with him wanting to be right and righteousness before God. He also shows a love and a compassion for Mary. Because what does it say there in the text? It says, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace or stoning. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You see, he didn't want to just throw her out in the streets. He probably already knew that she was suffering because of showing now. He wanted holiness. He wanted to do what was right before God. He wanted to hold to godly standards, but yet he was sensitive and had a concern for Mary. It's been said this way before, that truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. If you look at that statement, it's absolutely true. I mean, if you give truth of the word of God, the truth of God's law, the truth of what God wants, and and you do it without love, it is brutal. But at the same time, if you give love without the truth of God's word, it's hypocrisy. I wonder if I asked you which side does the culture of today err on in the Christian faith? You'd probably agree with me and say, well, it's the love without truth. There's a lot of people who discard God's word. They discard God's ways. And yet I think it's so valuable for us to see here in the Christmas account that Joseph says, you know what? No, no, I care about God's ways. But I'm not going to make it any harder on Mary than it has to be. And so I think it's very important that when we read this text, we realize what it's saying here. Joseph was a righteous man. He was not going to compromise, but at the same time, he wasn't going to make Mary suffer any more than she already was. He was going to allow God to be in charge of what would happen to Mary. And if you think about it for a moment, it might be really hard if someone betrayed you like that. Because don't you imagine before the angel appears to Joseph, that's how he feels? It's like, Mary, I'm not buying the Holy Spirit story. I'm not. I know what you've done, it's obvious, and I know I'm not the one that did it. Can you imagine the level of betrayal that you would feel if you were engaged to someone and then they show up pregnant? Can you imagine the trust issues and the betrayal issues? And you have to think, Joseph's human here, he feels all of that. And yet, through his righteousness, he shows grace. And he shows love. And he says, you know, as for Mary, I'm going to keep it... I don't want her out in the street. We're just going to do this quietly. The third thing this morning is that God provides assurance. God provides assurance. I think sometimes we, we want this in our Christian life, in our Christian faith, especially when things aren't going well. And I think how much more here in this Christmas story for the circumstances and situations and the culture at the time how extremely serious, how extremely stressful and tense this was. We love to read the Christmas story and have good warm feelings about it, but man, there was a lot going on here. I mean, you get to verse 
19 there, and you see that he, Joseph's going to cut this thing off. But then God provides assurance in verse 20. It says, but after he had considered this, after Joseph had considered divorcing Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I mean, what did the angel really tell Joseph there? Joseph, you are chosen and Mary is chosen. And don't have fear, Joseph, because Mary has not been unfaithful to you. But Mary has chosen to be faithful to God. And he offers this assurance that God provides what we need. He provides this assurance for Joseph. We, we see these assurances many times through Scripture today, and that's a gift from the Lord that we have today, is we have the Holy Word of God. Sometimes we want assurances. Sometimes we need to hear these assurances from God. And even though sometimes we are in muck and mire and situations, sometimes it's because of our sinful choices and going against God's will and against his ways. And sometimes, folks, we don't do anything wrong. It's just life outside of heaven. In this sin-fallen world, things happen. Things happen. Bad things happen to good people, and it's not their fault at all. And when that happens, it may be even, it may be even harder for Christians and people of faith that we just want to have some kind of assurance from God. To know that he's working, to know that he still loves us. And I love assurances like this from Scripture. In 1 John chapter 5, 11 through 13, it says this. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? Why? He says, so that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, I took to memory my junior, senior year of high school. My youth minister was doing some discipleship with me and we are going through this book. I remember the curriculum was from the Navigators and we are going through it and, and it, we came to this chapter called The Assurance of Salvation. I don't know if you've ever walked that path, but maybe you've accepted Christ, but then you've known that, man, I have, not, I have not been walking out that relationship right. I've been choosing sin over God's ways. I feel like I've pulled back from God. I've walked away from God. And sometimes we get to this point where it's like, man, I, I need some assurance of salvation here. I need to know that I'm God's child. And even though I'm not perfect, I need to remember that I'm forgiven. And here it is. Here it is. And John gives us to this as a gift. And he says why he does it at the very end. He goes, for those of you that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that's what all that language is about. He who has the son of life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. It's talking about a personal relationship with the son of God, Jesus Christ. He who has the son of God has eternal life. He who does not have that relationship with the son of God does not have life. And he says, I'm writing this to you who believe in the name of the son of God. For those of you that walk with Jesus, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Assurance comes from the Lord. 
And then you read, you read passages like Romans chapter, Romans chapter 8, 37 through 39. I know some of you know this. It says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and think about who's writing this. This is the Apostle Paul, shipwrecked Paul, beaten Paul, imprisoned Paul, that guy. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither the angels nor the demons, neither the present nor the future, whatever happens, whatever happened, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, amen, assurance. What we don't realize sometimes, I think, today is that we have a huge advantage, huge advantage on Zechariah and Mary and Joseph. Now, I know sometimes you're like, man, but they got to be with Jesus. I mean, they got to see Jesus, the Son of God. They got to hold Jesus. They got to spend time with Jesus. They got to hear his teaching. They, I mean, they were like a part of this. And yet, we have advantages on them that I think sometimes we, we lose sight of. We don't value. We have two. The first one advantage that we have is the Holy Spirit. Emmanuel, Jesus, being called Emmanuel means God with us. But when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples in John 13 through 17, giving the upper room discourse, he keeps talking about the one that is to come. He calls this, this one that is to come, the helper, the comforter, the advocate. Who is that? It's the Holy Spirit. And the way Jesus, the son of God, saw this was when he was telling the disciples, hey, it is good that I'm going to leave you. And the disciples are like, no, it's not. I want to stay with you forever. What do you mean it's good? Why are you leaving? Jesus says, hey, it is good that I go. It is good that I'm leaving you. He says that several, time in those chap- several times in those chapters. And he says, because the one that comes after me, the advocate, the counselor, the helper, the Holy Spirit, and see the way Jesus sees it as, it's good, Emmanuel, God with us, yes. But Holy Spirit, for the believer, God in us. We have the Holy Spirit, huge advantage to Joseph and Mary and Zechariah. We have the Holy Spirit in us as our guide. But the other thing we have, folks, is we have the whole story. We have the Holy Scripture. We have the Holy Word of God. And we have all the promises and all the assurances right in here. At the time of our Christmas story, they had the law. They had the law. They had the Torah. They had some of the prophecies. But they didn't have the whole story. What an advantage for us today to be assured by God through his word, through prayer, through listening to his spirit that is in us. God provides assurance. And no matter what's going in your life today, maybe, maybe you've fallen on hard times in your marriage, or maybe you're going through a financial struggle, or maybe it's a, it's a job situation, and it feels really uncomfortable right now because I heard there's layoffs coming, and they already let so-and-so go, and, and what, what, what's happening here? And life feels like it's spinning out of control, and everything costs more. And, 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 but it's in the middle of all that. So God's, God says, hey, if you're my child... If you're my child, have assurance. I'm working. I've got all of this under my control. Read those passages of assurance in the the word of God and be encouraged. And find that your assurance doesn't come from anything this world will provide. It's not in your 401k. It's not in some relationship in this world. It's in the relationship you have with Almighty God. 
That's where you find your assurance. That's where everyone in the Christmas story ends up, right? Finding their assurance is in God. The fourth thing, though, that is awesome is that God reveals his ways and his plan. He reveals his ways and his plan. Now, of course, we have the scripture. It reveals his ways to us. We have huge advantages, again, on everyone else. But he reveals his ways and his plan. He did that with Zechariah, remember? The one that Elizabeth's going to have is going to help lead people back to God, and his name's going to be this. I mean, all these details about it. With Mary, it's the same thing. Mary, you are highly favored. God has just chosen you. You're highly favored by God because he has chosen you. And God is going to have his one and only son be born through your body. God has a plan. He has a way. And he makes it known. He does this for Joseph as well. I mean, Joseph, yeah, has maybe had to walk that journey farther. Maybe has going, had to go through some harder things. But but. It's revealed to him what he's supposed to do. Look at, let's read 20 and 21 together. It says, but after he had considered divorcing her, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in dreams and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, the messenger says, hey, this is the plan. God has got a plan. This child in her is from the Holy Spirit. God is making this happen supernaturally. And his name is going to be Jesus. And his mission is going to be to save people from their sins. You see, God sometimes reveals to us his way and his plans. I know that sometimes, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how sometimes he doesn't reveal it all. And sometimes he does. But you have to know and have faith and assurance that God is always working in the background. Even when you can't see it. Even when you feel like you don't know, and even in those times where maybe you're crying out because you just want to know how is this thing going to end up, be assured of this, that God is still at work. And that many times God will reveal his ways and his plan to us. Now again, talking about us today, I think we have such a huge advantage knowing of God's ways and his plans in the scripture. We don't need an angelic messenger. We have pages and pages of messages from the Lord for us. We know, how he, we, we know how he wants us to live. We know how we're supposed to react. We know how to do relationships. We know how to operate our finances. We know how to put our faith and trust in him. And we know the benefits of all of that. And if you're sitting there thinking, you know what? I hear that, but I really don't. I would say you're probably not reading your Bible. Because it's all there. On those times when you're upside and you're, and you're up in life seems to go down, lean in to the word. Lean into scripture. Lean into your faith. Lean into a life filled with prayer to God and crying out to him. And trust that in due time, he's not only going to give you assurance, you will see his ways and his plan worked out. Last thing this morning, we need to be obedient to God with immediacy even if it costs us something. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. He did what the angel of the Lord told him to do. There was no hesitancy. He didn't have to go into a season of prayer and consideration. No, he just simply did 
what the angel, what God's special messenger told him to do. He woke up and he walked out in faith what he knew. And that's what we're called to do. And here's the thing with Joseph. He did it at great personal cost. Now he decides, I'm not going to divorce. I'm not going to divorce Mary quietly. No, now what? Now I'm going to keep her as my betrothed. And I'm going to marry her. Maybe his reputation amongst, amongst those of faith in that time was knocked down a few notches because of his decision. But he obeyed with immediacy, even when it cost something. And we are called to do the same thing. You know, Joseph had a problem. He was put in this predicament because of Jesus. I mean, if you really think about it, what is Joseph's issue here? He's a righteous man. He's living his life the right way. Carpenter in Nazareth, minding his own business. And here comes Jesus. And he's put in this predicament because of Jesus. But I don't think it's just for Joseph. As I thought about this, I thought, we're all put in that predicament, aren't we? Do you choose to trust God's plan? Do you choose to follow Jesus? Because the world does not want you to go that way. The culture does not want you to go that way. Satan himself does not want you to choose Christ or to choose a life of righteousness. He wants you to run away from God, wants you to, to live for what you can get in this world and nothing else. Live every day just for the here and now. Do not plan anything for eternity. And yet, we have the Jesus predicament ourselves. What? are we going to do with Jesus? And then I'm reminded that when Jesus was born, he was born on a mission to do what? To die, to sacrifice himself and to be a, a substitutionary atonement for our sins. We should, our sin equals death. We should be crucified for our sins and yet Jesus said, no, 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 I'm gonna take that on for all mankind. And then we get a choice. Do I accept that in faith and do I follow him or do I just do life on my terms? And God is calling each one of us this Christmas with the Jesus predicament. What are we going to do? Are we going to be faithful? Are we going to trust in God's ways and his plan? Are we going to find our assurance and our security in him? Or are we going to search for those things in this world?